Hey, Joe. Hey, Samantha. How did the oyster catcher open the oyster shell? Hmm, I don't know. How did the oyster catcher open up the oyster shell? He used a little muscle. Oh. <laughs> hey, Seema. Hey, Joe. What kind of diet are seabirds on? I don't know. What kind of diet are they on? Seafood. Whatever food they see, they eat. We're all talking about oyster catchers, not just any oyster catcher, but the American oyster catchers, a totally awesome shorebird found right here along the Jersey Shore on this episode of Save Coastal Wildlife, the, the podcast. podcast. Cleaning up the beach, the fish swim by, look at all the birds up in the sky, Sailing in the bay, what will we find today? Welcome, everybody. We're so happy that you're here on this edition of Save Coastal Wildlife, the podcast. You are so all awesome to listen to us to chat about coastal wildlife along the Jersey Shore. And I hope you are discovering that there's just a tremendous amount of biodiversity along our beautiful coastline. Please help us keep these animals from disappearing along the coast. We are recording this podcast tonight on the first week of March. And that means the first day of spring is getting closer and closer and closer. Closer. We almost have 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness. And as you know, animals do respond to increasing amounts of light in the spring to migrate and the need to breed. Right now, American oyster catchers, a very beautiful bird, are getting ready to start the next generation and raise a family. Did you know that American oyster catchers do call the Jersey Shore home? I did. I see them all the time on Sandy Hook. Oh They're so pretty. I have never seen one. It's my dream to see one. I've You've never, never seen one, Jen? No. I've lived on the Jersey Shore for seven years. I've never laid eyes on an oyster catcher. Hmm. Well, we'll have to try to remedy that uh, situation. Yes. They're sitting there thinking the same thing about I you. Know. They're like, I haven't seen a Jen. I know. So sad. Well, did you know that while many oyster catchers spend the winter south of New Jersey, there are some that spend their entire life right here along the Jersey Shore. South Jersey is the northernmost limit of oyster catchers' winter range. Some of the birds that breed north of the state during summer end up overwintering right here along the Jersey, uh, Jersey Shore, especially South Jersey, like Cape May County, hmm. um, that area. American oyster catchers may gather in large flocks in the winter, so you could see them really just about any time of the year along the Jersey Shore. Clearly, they're avoiding me. I think we've established that at this point. Yeah, so, you know, here's a joke for you. So... Uh, why did Jen bring toilet paper to the party? <laughs> because she's a party pooper. <laughs> I am. So here we go. Here's a nice question for you. So why does, or what does an American oyster catcher really look like? Anybody know what an Amer American oyster catcher look like? It's a very distinctive bird. And once you see an American oyster catcher, yeah. you really never forget that sight. You never forget the sight of your first oyster catcher. 
Now you're just now you're just rubbing it in that I've never seen one. The <laughs> no, never, 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 never. The American oyster catcher. Anybody know the scientific name? How to pronounce the scientific name for the American oyster catcher? Hematopus palatus. It's pretty good. Hmm. The American oyster catcher is a large shorebird that stands nearly 18 inches tall. 18, inch, 18 inches tall. That's about the size of a crow. That's big. It's pretty big. Pretty big for a shorebird. Most shorebirds, when you think of shorebirds, you think of piping plovers. They're pretty small, right? They're about the size of a hand. This oyster catcher is about the size of a crow. Their most noticeable feature is their long, straight, thick, bright orange-red bill. They also have yellow eyes with an orange ring around them and pale pink legs. I love those little pink legs that the oyster catchers have. But clearly, the most noticeable thing is their beak, which is just long, straight, sturdy, and sort of red-orange in color. Really, really cool. And there's just not many shorebirds here along the Jersey Shore that have a bill like that. In fact, I can't think of any birds along the Jersey Shore that look like oyster catchers. I think they're really cute, but out of context, it kind of sounded like you were describing some freaky demon or something. You know, like, it like does. Orange, yellow eyes. orange mouth, yellow yes. eyes. Like, yeah, yeah. And pink legs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, with a name like oyster catcher, what do you think is going to eat? Um, clams. Yeah, mostly on uh, mussels, clams, oysters, but also fiddler crabs it likes, marine worms, sand crabs, sea urchins, and even jellyfish, and other small creatures of the intertidal zone. That's where oyster catchers like to hang out. So that's what they're looking for food over there. And so you think that you're just going to eat oysters with a name like oyster catcher, but they do like clams. And in fact, I see them oftentimes eating lots of mussels, blue mussels, not so much rib mussels, but blue mussels along the Jersey Shore. And that brings up the question, so how do they eat all that shellfish? They don't have a knife per se. Like if you're going to go to like the fish market to get a, right. a dozen clams. Do they have a little like, do they carry a shucker? Like they have a little pocket? Yeah, yeah. Do they have a little shucker? shucker it's really pocket? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> So American oyster catchers are the only birds along the Jersey Shore with the ability to open up large mulks, such as clams, oysters, except, of course, for large gulls that drop them onto pavement. Oyster catchers can do it just with their beak or their mouth. And so how does this all work? Well, the American oyster catcher often for, uh, forages by walking in shallow water, searching for food by sight. And then when the birds do find something, they have two methods of opening up the shells, the shells of bivalves, that is. So in one, one method is finding a mussel with its shell slightly open, just a little bit open, and then the oyster catcher quickly thrusts its powerful blade-like bill between a mussel's open shells and stabbing the mussel's abductor muscles, then feeding on the meat inside. Isn't that amazing? Wow. It's almost like it has its own type of little clam knife or something. It could just stick it in there, get those muscles, boom, open it up, and then eat away at that little clam. <laughs> and then another feeding method, the bird simply hammers away on the shell to break it open or until the shell cracks. And that's, my friend, is how oyster, crack oyster crackers, <laughs> oyster catchers, how they eat shellfish. 
but the birds are smart. The birds are very smart. Tidal conditions influence when oyster catchers forge, and generally they forge most heavily on falling tides, when the tide is falling, when shellfish is actively feeding, and their shells are just open a little bit to let those valves out. And then here comes the oyster catcher, boom, 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 getting all that shellfish up, all those muscles and clams. Pretty ingenious, right? Yeah. It's pretty cool that they've learned that behavior to, to actively hunt the, their prey. Yeah, absolutely. And did you know, did you know oyster catchers have been known to drown when they're feeding? It's true. Oh, yeah. I just said they were smart. Right? <laughs> then take it back. I spoke too wrong. soon. <laughs> Sometimes those clams are pretty nasty and they can get back to you. So what happens is tightly rooted mussels and clams sometimes clamp down on the oyster catcher's bill or their tongue, holding the bird in place until the tide comes in. Wham! <gasps> there goes the oyster catcher to drown. So you got to be careful of those clams. They can be nasty sometimes, those yeah. clams and mussels. It's Girl. pretty ingenious of the clams. Yup. They just wait for the tide to come in and boom. Yeah. I mean, I don't, the clams don't really know what they're doing, do they? They, they do. They don't really have brains. They're smart. They're very smart. Can clams are very smart. Like, all of a sudden, the clams, like, turn the tide, no pun intended, and Ayo. started eating oyster catchers? Here. Yeah. Here, here, here's what a clam sounds like. <laughs> After he drowned an oyster catcher. <laughs> So spring migration, spring is almost here, my friends. And so migration is about to begin and the need to breed for many types of wildlife. They're all getting ready to start the next generation. And so now as wildlife along the coast are starting to become more active and as spring rains pour nutrients to increase plankton populations, the coast is starting to become a more lively place for coastal wildlife. And American oyster catchers are no exceptions. They're starting to return to beaches around here at Sandy Hook Bay and Raritan Bay and along the Jersey Shore to make a nest and raise a family. And in spring, oyster catchers will nest on sandy areas along shorelines. Adults, how do they make their nest? Well, they make a little shallow depression in the sand that line with crushed shells and other beach debris. Oyster catchers will build as many as five nests to confuse predators. Ooh, that's smart. That's yeah. smart. Yeah, yeah. So they don't make nests like in trees because obviously there are no trees along the beach. So they've got to make nests along the sand. And so they just, I don't know if you've ever seen an oyster catcher nest, but really it doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like much at all. So it's just like a bunch of shells and pebbles, you know, lining a little depression in the sand. So it's really, it's not much at all, but they make a couple of nests to confuse predators. And then the female, the female ladies, she will select the nest site that she likes the best, usually within or behind the dunes. And then the nest site usually features dune vegetation, such as sea oats or beach grass. Some pairs have been found nesting on gravel rooftops even, or rocky artificial islands. Hmm. How many eggs does, this, does she lay? The f Three. The female lay, good guess. The female lays two to four sandy colored eggs into the nest. But Seema's really smart. I've noticed that last couple of podcasts. She's really smart. Yeah. <laughs> Both parents take care of the nests and eggs. Juveniles have a molted appearance that differs slightly from adult plumage. How many people have seen uh, juvenile uh, oyster catchers? Just now. So cute. They are so cute. Absolutely. Aww, yeah. They have these short little beaks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and how does uh, has the call of the oyster catcher? You mean know the call of the oyster catcher? 
Reap, 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 reap. Just like that. Seriously? Seriously, it's a reaping call. Just so you guys know, 10 oyster catchers just flew in through the window. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's on you. <laughs> so they generally have one broad of eggs, that is. Uh, incubation period is 24 to 28 days, about a month. Mm-hmm. A little less than a month. Um, and those eggs would look like buffy gray with dark brown specklings on them. And they blend in really well with the sand. So American oyster catchers, they are monogamous, in case you're curious. They are monogamous, which means they stay together with one partner for life until something better comes along. That's yeah. American oyster catchers are monogamous and sometimes maintain a pair bond for many consecutive years. Their courtship is in early spring and it's loud. It's very loud. Oh my! Yeah. So we might hear the mating. You often out. you often hear oyster catchers before you even see oyster catchers. That's how I know there's oyster catchers around because I hear them. I'm like, oh, there's there must be around. Really? And you call right back, right? <laughs> so they are loud. It's a loud bird. with, uh, And when they're courting, they're especially loud. And they pace back and forth in the sand in unison, giving a piping call that increases in tempo, sometimes taking to flight in pairs. A courting pair often attracts neighboring pairs of oyster catchers to begin their display, or sometimes even just other birds like piping plovers or terns. And sometimes as many as three pairs of oyster catchers will come together in what scientists call the piping ceremony. All that loud, roxas noise from oyster catchers it's really an incredible sight to see i would say spring is just an amazing time along the jersey shore because all these birds are mating and making nests and defending territory it's just an incredible time i really look forward to spring i would say probably spring is is probably my favorite favorite time of the year so uh here's a here's a word how do you say that copulation sex um (laughs) often follows that display and so the size, <laughs> I really got to see him on that one. We're going to take the, uh, the phone away. How do you say that word? Uh, copulation. Sex uh, often follows this display. The size of a pair's territory probably depends on local condition and ranges in size from about 1.7 to get this 5.3 acres. Which, by the way, is more land than I have from my house. So oyster catchers clearly have more uh, more land than I do. So sometimes they establish territories within a colony of terns and black skimmers, or sometimes even brown pelicans. Which, by the way, you might say brown pelicans. We don't have any brown pelicans around here, but guess what? We do. We do have brown pelicans down in South Jersey. I've been told there's even a few brown pelicans that occasionally make nests here in New Jersey, in South Jersey, South Jersey. Cape May County. So they're coming north, maybe because of global warming, I'm not sure, but those black skimmers, brown pelicans, and the oyster catchers and turns now are all becoming friends and they're all nesting together. Isn't that a cute story? Yeah. It is. Pairs stay very near one another for the breeding season. Male and female take turns incubating the eggs and because they can't you can't stay on the nest the entire time because your legs get tired, your wings get tired, you've got to take sure. a break. Oh, yeah. So they share that, and male and females will take turns taking care of the eggs. Both will defend the eggs and the young, driving away intruders, including other oyster catchers sometimes, with calls and chases and sometimes even aggressive fights. Mm. 
Young birds can dive and swim underwater to escape predators as well, too. And then once the ne uh, nesting season is all done, ladies, what happens next? Hatching. Well, after all that's done. So let the oh, young have raised. Like, this is like August now. So the young are like fully adults by... Well, they're not fully adults. Oh, okay. It takes about a year or oh, okay. so for them to grow up. Okay. Do they leave and go somewhere else? Mm, so once the nesting season is done, recent tracking studies have revealed that oyster catchers make tremendously variable movements after the breeding season. Hmm. They just go here and there and really everywhere. Really? Young birds do not follow their parents to wintering locations. So aren't they smart? They don't follow their parents. They're like, yeah. F you, Dad. <laughs> I'm gonna follow you. We're going someplace else. Sis and I are going someplace else. Young birds do not follow their parents to wintering locations. In fact, young from the same nest may even migrate to completely different directions in autumn. Adults are so, um, how do you say that word? Idiosyncratic. Yeah, thanks. What's that mean? It means they do, they, it's kind of random and not, you know, Uniform. Yeah, so adults are so random in their movements, with some staying on the breeding territory year-round, others moving hundreds of miles away. Is it like a family survival thing? Like if they don't trap, like you know when a family won't fly the same plane together in case something happens? I, I think it has to do with genetics, really. Yeah? Yeah, it's more genetics, because if you look at like other species, you know, the young spread out, so so when they actually do come time to mate for themselves, right, they're not mating accidentally with their all, they're all, you know, relatives. Yeah, exactly, right. So it's, it's just best for the young to spread out on their own and go other places. It's best for the whole flock. Yeah, it's best for the whole flock. Absolutely, Jen. So good. Would it be for, like, survivability, too? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's my mother, but it's better everybody <laughs> spreads out. Yeah. Are you My telling me there too. was incest in your family? No, I'm just saying. You know. oh. <laughs> Very interesting. <Maybe>. So, <laughs> so where did all these oyster catchers live? New Jersey. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we're talking about New Jersey. So, uh, they but where in New Jersey would they all live? So they are strictly. Coastal, yes, strictly coastal in areas with extensive sand beaches, tidal mudflats, salt marshes, barrier islands, and other beaches, and even near reefs of shellfish like mussels. So the key element to all this, though, of course, is food, right? They're going to go where the food is. And so if there's lots of food, such as oyster beds, clam flats, that's where they're going to be. So uh, they nest among the dunes, on islands, and salt marsh, or in dredge spoil islands, but there has to be a good supply of food nearby. They don't generally like to fly all that far to look for food. So if there's a good population of clams or just a good source of food nearby, that's a good place for them to nest. I will tell you Sandy Hook is a good place to see oyster catchers along the Jersey Shore. Um, Cape May County is another really good place to see oyster catchers. Barnicket Light is also a pretty good place. I don't know. Have you guys seen? Have you guys seen oyster catchers as well in other places? Jen? Clearly no. Oh. And I have been to all those places, and I've you know spent a lot of time, you know, creating oyster reefs and and raking clams 
along the Jersey Shore in Barnegat Bay, and I've never seen one. It's as they're as if they're avoiding me. Why don't you do this next time? Why don't you put a whole bunch of clam juice all over you? <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, and see what happens, right? Yeah. You'll attract yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Make a yep. hat. Make a clam hat. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we have to be serious here now, ladies. Serious face. Uh-oh. Now he's going to tell us all the what, horrible things what, that are happening. What kills oyster catchers? Oh, tell us. So what are the threats to oyster catchers? What are the threats to oyster catchers? Peregrine falcons. So New Jersey's breeding population is estimated at 350 to 400 pairs. Which sounds like a lot, but clearly it's not enough because Jen's never seen one. Clearly, we have a problem. And uh, along the Atlantic and Gulf Coast of the U.S., there's about 1,500 breeding pairs of American oyster catchers. Which, again, sounds like a lot, but really it's not. When you're talking about the entire Atlantic Coast and Gulf Coast of the United States of America. So the oyster catcher is a species of special concern right here in New Jersey. That means the population is going down for the American oyster catcher. So get the, you know, this summer, this is the summer you got to see an American oyster catcher because who knows, it might be your last. So the oyster catchers is a species of special concern in New Jersey because of the threats, including habitat loss from development, right? Mm-hmm. Just look at Long Branch. Yeah. Human disturbances predation, pollution, water pollution, and other impacts to food resources like their mussels and clams. Climate change and sea level rise are also playing an important role in their demise of the American oyster catcher. Can you think why um, sea level rise is doing damage to, or just climate change is doing uh, damage to American oyster catchers? Well, I feel like if the water gets higher, the dunes and the area that they reproduce won't be there anymore. Right, absolutely correct, right. Yeah, it's going to destroy their coastal habitat. And then also, check this out. This is something I didn't even think about. So if we get, like, heat waves in the spring, that's going to endanger young birds in the nest. It's going to make it too hot for the eggs. So that incubation has to be a certain temperature. And so if it gets too hot in the spring, like May or June, when the birds are nesting and incubating the eggs, that can damage the eggs that they might not hatch. You might actually kill the bird, boil the bird inside of its own egg from the spring heat waves. And keep in mind, this, this winter's been very mild. It was just like 60 degrees today here in the second day of March. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in um, when we do get to spring and summer. So there are many threats. There are many threats to American oyster catchers. There are predators. Um, the biggest predator for the American oyster catcher is gulls, blackback gulls, those large gulls. They will tend to take the eggs and eat them. So, But, you know, the problem is that we attract so many gulls along the Jersey Shore because there's so much trash along the Jersey Shore. If people just properly threw away their trash, didn't leave trash on the beaches, or if we didn't have these open trash cans where the gulls can go in there and grab trash, right? We wouldn't have such a robust or aggressive gull population. Gulls can take care of themselves. They're very adaptable, and they can take care of themselves finding fish out in the uh, open ocean. But when the food source is nearby, that's when the gulls are going to stay nearby, too, and then they're going to do more damage to not just oyster catchers, but also piping plovers and terns as well. Mm -hmm. So keep your trash off the Jersey Shore. Properly throw away your trash. Don't keep it on the beaches. So, yeah, that's the American oyster. That's the story of the American oyster catchers. Any questions, ladies? What else? 
else can we do? Anything? Now I feel like I have to do something so I can see one someday besides take my trash with me. Well, you have to fight all the, the rampant development that's going along the Jersey Shore, right? You've got to, we got to protect more habitat. We've got to protect more open space. Mm -hmm. We've got to make sure our beaches are clean and healthy, right? Not just for American oyster catchers, but for other species as well, too. So these are important steps that we could all do to make habitat along the Jersey Shore better for our shorebird population, which, by the way, shorebirds, including the American oyster catcher, all these populations are endangered, and really they're all not doing well. If you're talking about least terns, which is another species that's endangered or threatened or a species of special concern in New Jersey, if you're talking about piping plovers, if you're talking about um, black skimmers, Right, All these populations of birds are really not doing all that well along the Jersey Shore and really along the east coast of the United States. And that's because people just want to live as close as you can to the water. Mm -hmm. If people, if you look, go to look like to North Carolina, there are people who actually have houses in the water on stilts. Yeah, exactly. It is crazy. Yeah. So people just want to get as close to the water as possible. And that does real damage to, to beaches and to beach habitat for nesting shorebirds. Right. And people don't realize that, yeah, a bird goes away. And what does that mean? But there's such a vital part of an entire ecosystem that can completely break down. And then humans start getting affected. Absolutely, Chad. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we love American oyster catchers at Safe Coastal Wildlife. And we hope you yes. do, too. Thanks to everyone out there who took some time out tonight of their busy life to listen to our podcast. We're so grateful that you did. And we love you all. And I was joined tonight by my really good friends. I'm Samantha. I'm Seema. I'm Jen. And I'm Joe Reynolds, Executive Director of Save Coastal Wildlife, an environmental nonprofit dedicated to educating people about the preservation and protection of coastal wildlife, wildlife along the Jersey Shore. You can find out more about Save Coastal Wildlife at our website, www.savecoastalwildlife.org. That's www.savecoastalwildlife.org. And until next time, farewell from the world-famous Jersey Shore. And remember to be kind not only to people, but to animals as well. We all need to get along and live together. And now it's time. Cleaning up the beach, the fish swim by. Look at all the birds up in the sky. Staying in the bay, what will we find today? Won't come anymore Protect and preserve the wild